your help. Psalm 61. had this sermon laying out here for a little while now and haven't gotten to it, so I pray that the Lord would use it to be a blessing to us today. And the subject of the message this morning is an overwhelmed heart, an overwhelmed heart. And I pray that God will help me as we get into the Word now. Psalm 61, and we'll read for now just verses 1 and 2. I have a lot of Scripture today, and for time's sake, I'm only going to stop and ask you to turn to a handful of them, so that's always up to you. But if you want to take some notes or stop here and look, or else you can just listen. But it's sort of a topic taken from Psalm 61 that we're going to look at a lot of other Scriptures that go along with it, and some of them I'll just be reading to you for time's sake as we get into the message this morning. Psalm 61 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Here, David uses the phrase, when my heart is overwhelmed. The Bible often speaks of our heart. And when it talks about our heart, it's not just talking about the physical organ that pumps the blood through our body, but rather it's talking about our soul, our spirit, that which is within us, what we feel like and our emotions, that place from within our soul that God has created us unique as human beings in the image of God Almighty that is able to feel things like hate, things like love, things like fear. The word there for heart means heart, but also feelings, will, and sometimes even intellect. The Bible has much to say about this area of the heart, or if you like, our spirit or our soul, because I believe that sometimes the phrases are used interchangeably. Proverbs 4.23 warns us, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible there warns us in the book of Proverbs, we're going to have to diligently watch and keep. That word keep there would have to do with maintenance, like you would keep a garden. Keep your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. If our heart, soul, and spirit within us, if something gets wrong within there, then that will begin to manifest itself with outward behavior. And God does not just address the behavior that's wrong, but He addresses the emotions, the desires, and the thoughts that are wrong because the wrong actions flow out of what is wrong with our heart. This is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5.18. He says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Have you ever heard someone speak words that were hurtful, that were nasty, that were hateful, that didn't just come out of nowhere? Jesus said in Matthew 5.18 that the things that proceed out of the mouth come first from the heart. One time on a Wednesday evening, I got a text message from a coworker that was nasty, that was cursing, that was angry, that was bitter. And it didn't take me but a couple seconds to figure out they accidentally sent that to me. They meant it for someone else, but in this day and age of technology, as is so easy to happen, it's a little bit easier for certain things to get exposed. People accidentally do those things all the time. And then they texted me back and said, oh, I'm sorry, so sorry, that was meant for someone else. But those words that come out begin within the heart. Then Jesus said in verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Then after He says evil thoughts that begin within us, He names six sins that are outward actions. But He says they begin within the heart and with our thoughts. Then notice what He said. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. All of those things begin with what happens in our heart. All across our land this morning, there is someone who is sitting in a jail cell, either awaiting execution or sentenced to be there for the rest of their life because they committed that ultimate sin against God, the act of violence, at least from a human standpoint, where God said that the government is supposed to protect the citizens, and that is the sin of murder. To go to an innocent life, to someone who bears the image and likeness of God, and to intend murder them and take their life. 
But there's no one sitting in a jail cell this morning for murder that did not first allow hatred to come within their heart and to stay there until ultimately it manifested itself in that violent action. Likewise, all those other things that Jesus mentioned, the adultery, the fornication, the theft, the false witness, and the blasphemies against God Himself, they begin within our heart. That's why the Bible says we are to keep it with all diligence, for out of our heart are the issues of life. Jesus later summed up to His disciples the two main things that we are called to do that will make us right with God as Christians. Luke 10, 27. And answering, He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And He said on those two commandments hung all the law and all the prophets, all of the thou shalt nots, all of the rules, all of the things that say don't do this to another person, do this for God. We will be able to have all of those things fall in line if we love God and love people. But He doesn't just say love God. He calls us love God with all your heart all your mind, all your soul, those things that as I look at you, I cannot see your heart or your spirit or your soul or your mind, but that which is within us that no one else can truly see or know about. But besides us and God, we are supposed to with that love God with every single bit of it. Proverbs chapter 17. I'll have you turn there with me if you'd like to look. There's two verses, one in Proverbs 17 and one in Proverbs 18, that go right along with what we're saying here and are very interesting. Our heart, our spirit, the ability to love, to hate, to feel. That's what the Word of God is talking about. Proverbs chapter 17, and look down to verse number 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Look at Proverbs 18, 14, and then we'll have more to say about these verses in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? We know from what the Bible says here, but also from science, that when we stress, when we worry, When we're angry, when we have hatred within our heart, those are things that begin within that inner man, the heart, soul, and spirit. It negatively affects us physically. It is bad for our health when we allow those things that God does not intend to be within our heart, soul, and spirit to be there, to sit there, and to stay there. Inside our bones is found a spongy, moist tissue tissue called bone marrow where all of our body's blood cells are produced. The blood cells begin life in the moist marrow as stem cells. These stem cells divide and form the various cells that make up our blood and our immune system. New fields of study in science have now told us that as they can observe the human body and scientifically observe that stress, depression, sorrow, grief, negative thoughts, and anger have a direct negative effect on white blood cells and happy, joyful, restful, positive thoughts have a direct positive effect on white and red blood cell production and activity. It is these red red blood cells that bring oxygen and nutrients to the body and white blood cells defend it against disease and sickness. One newspaper article headline read, More doctors insist laughter is a miracle drug. Take some time and Google and look up the health benefits of laughter. When we have a good, genuine laugh and we're joyful about something and you have one of those moments where you throw your head back in your your stomach, you have that, that big laugh. Science tells us that it releases endorphins into our body that helps to kill pain, that helps to fight off depression, that literally makes our health better when we laugh. Sometimes we don't give the Bible enough credit for being as literal as it is. It's not a metaphor when God says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. A merry heart literally is like a medicine for our body that helps our health to improve. 
But the second part of that verse says, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A broken spirit. Not something physically like a broken bone, but a wounded spirit and sadness within us. The Word of God says, drieth the bones. And an article that ran in Psychology Today, the article was entitled, The Blues Are a Bone Breaker. And it gave a bunch of research that German doctors and scientists performed on people, and the results were surprising. The study took and compared the bone density of one group of people who were hospitalized and depressed and then another group of people who did not battle depression at all. And they followed both of the groups for two years and then at the end of the two years, the study concluded that the patients who were depressed lost significantly more bone mass than those who were not Depressed. The Word of God is literally true in both statements when it says a merry heart is good for us like a medicine. And doctors will prescribe to people, the one article was saying, if you can find a way to genuinely laugh more, it will treat your symptoms. But also a broken spirit, depression, literally dries out the marrow within our bones and causes a loss of bone mass. The Bible has it absolutely correct. Now, Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. As I said, if I walk up to you, I can't see your spirit. I can't walk up to you and wound your spirit. If I took a knife and said, well, I want to wound your spirit and stab your spirit, I can't see it because that's what is within us, our heart, our emotions, and our soul. Now, I could give you a pretty good infirmity with the knife, but I can't walk up to you and stab your spirit. But there are other ways that that happens, aren't there? The saying that we heard when we were children, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. For a lot of people, if you look at the totality of your life, that statement is probably not completely accurate. Because many of us could think back to what has hurt us the most in our life and maybe just maybe it would be a word that someone said that was hateful, that cut us to our heart, that destroyed us. But the Bible says that if your spirit is strong, that your spirit will help you to sustain physical infirmities, which is sickness, which is wounds. It will help you get better faster and help you live if you are physically sick, but your spirit is strong and it fights back. And they talk about how some people will lose the will to live. But if your heart is strong and if you want to fight whatever it is, a strong spirit will help you overcome physical infirmities. Then the Bible says, but a wounded spirit... Who can bear? In other words, you may have something physically wrong with you, but if your spirit is strong within you, that will help you to recover and to get better and be strong. But then comparatively it says, but if your spirit is wounded, where is the hope for that? Who can bear such a heavy burden as a wounded spirit? So in the text that we read this morning... David said, my heart is overwhelmed within me. Our heart and our spirit and our emotions have a limit and it is possible for them to be overwhelmed within us. Now, part of being a human being is we realize certainly as we get older, but at every part of our life, we have limits and we have limitations. All of us have physical limits. If your heart takes on too much stress, no matter how healthy you are, you can have a heart attack. Someone who's in their 20s and is an athlete can run and play football in 100 degrees for a couple hours and they'll be okay. But someone who was not in that shape and who is older and who had a bad heart might literally get their physical heart overwhelmed and die if they go past their physical limits. But even teenagers all over the state of Texas in the summer heat, if they don't drink enough water, they have collapsed and died on the football field because their heart was overwhelmed and they died because of that. Someone said, if you think you're tough, just try going without sleep. Deprive your body of it. One day, two days, three days. See how far you can make it. It doesn't matter who you are, how strong you are. If you are deprived of a little bit of oxygen, of a little bit of sleep, of a little bit of water, or a little bit of food, 
you will not make it. The Bible tells us that we have spiritual limits. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. The Bible says that God, in His mercy, knows what our limits are and how much strength we have to say no to temptation. And God Himself personally sees to us, sees to it, that we are not allowed to be tempted with temptation that is greater than we are able to bear. So remember that. If you say, well, it's impossible for me not to give in to this temptation, impossible for me not to sin, don't believe that. Claim the promises of the Word of God. Say, God promised He will be faithful. In temptation, sometimes we have to bear it, which means as you would lift against a burden. Sometimes it's hard and there's no getting around that. But God promised He'll make a way we can escape any temptation that comes. But as such, it means that God knows that there is a certain amount of temptation that we are not able to bear because we are humans and because we are sinners. That's why the Bible tells us, flee from youthful lust. Stay away from temptations. Don't trust your flesh. Someone said, well, don't you trust your kids? And the man said, I don't even trust myself because I know I'm in my flesh and I know I have the ability to sin. Jesus told the disciples when they could not stay awake to pray with Him, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That's good advice for all of us to heed because we all have our limits. None of us are sinless. None of us are God. So we have physical limits. We have spiritual limits. But we also as human beings, and what David was talking about in Psalm 61 too, we also have emotional limits. A certain capacity that our heart becomes overwhelmed with if there's too much trouble, too much sorrow, too much trauma. Have you ever seen a can of soda that you just went to open or a bottle of soda and you didn't know that anything had happened to it and you're in the kitchen and you open it and it explodes all over the place because you didn't know that it had gone through that jostling and that being shaken up and when that happens you take a a bottle or a can of soda and you shake it and you shake it and you shake it it's already building inside it's not spontaneous explosion that comes from opening the lid but rather it's been jostled it's it's been messed with and it builds and it builds and it builds and then all of a sudden it explodes all over the place have you ever been at work or in the store or even someone you know And one little thing happens, and that person just goes crazy. I've worked at the post office since I was 17 years old, and for some reason, it's a high-stress environment. And if you've heard the, the saying, going postal, that came about for a reason where people snapped and they lost it. And I, one of my first days, and then other times as I go by, I can think back to times where someone came up to someone and said something to them and needled them, and they just turned around, and I mean... Cursed, screaming at octaves. I didn't know their voice could go to. Throwing trash cans, flipping things over. And you think, well, what happened? Why did that one little thing upset them so bad? It probably was not that one little thing. But many things that, like that can of soda, began to build and build and build. And then emotionally they were overwhelmed. And they just snapped. They said at one mail processing plant, a supervisor went up to one of the employees and said something mean to them, and that person completely snapped, pulled out a pair of scissors, and attacked them with it. The building next door, oftentimes this has happened in the past where it's the middle of the summertime. We're running the ACs everywhere and then we decide to clean or whatever we're doing and we plug something into every single outlet to use it for power and for vacuuming. And you know what happens? The breaker trips. Because the circuit has a certain capacity that it can withstand until it becomes overwhelmed and then shuts down. Likewise, David said in Psalm 61 two, God, my troubles have built and built and built to the point within my heart that I feel like I cannot sustain it anymore. My heart is overwhelmed within me. 
Psalm 77, verse 1 through 3. This is a psalm of Asaph. He says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And He gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Let's turn to Psalm 142. I'll have you look at these ones along with me. Psalm 142. Remember, our heart, our spirit, all of those have to do with the same things. Psalm 142, verse 1, a psalm of David. And it says uh, above my scripture here, a prayer when he was in the cave. We believe historically this happened when he was running from King Saul. And innocently he was being persecuted and on the run and away from home for nothing he had done wrong. And he cries out to God in verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. Verse 3, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. We talked last week about John the Baptist and as about how he sat in the dungeon and his mind was most likely overcome with some depression from being imprisoned and from not seeing the sun. And he questioned, was Jesus even God? And we talked about how much of the Psalms is David pouring his heart out to God when he felt like that. And these are some of the scriptures that we're looking at this morning. Look at Psalm 143. And if King David experienced this, and God in His providence allowed this to be recorded in the Word of God for us to read, there is no doubt a reason that God is letting us know that these things that we struggle with in our mind, spirit, and heart are not unique to us. But David himself and many others have gone through it, and God let David record his prayers of heartbrokenness and his heart and spirit being overwhelmed. He let him record that in the Bible so that we could see it and we could learn from it. Psalm 143.1 Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Praise God for grace. Praise God for mercy. Praise God for forgiveness. David did not come before God and say, Give me my rights and give me what I'm owed. He rather came before God and said, Please do not deal with me fairly. Because if you were to judge us according to our works and our righteousness, no man living could be justified in thy sight. There will not one person come into the presence of God for all of eternity that will be able to claim, I'm here because my righteous works justified me in the eyes of God. No man living. Praise the Lord that our hope can be put in Christ and in the fact that He died for us. Verse 3, He talks about His human enemies. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. Jason, if you have a chance, would you look up the verse, uh, the Apostle Paul says something to the effect of, I will spend and be spent for you. If you can hold on to that later. I forgot to put that in there and I might want it. Thank you for doing that. Okay, so just that we all have limits that are different physically and spiritually, so also our heart has different limits because all of us are different human beings in the eyes of God, created unique and individual with different strengths, different weaknesses, different age, different time of life, etc., and etc. Think of a child and what it is that can overwhelm their heart within them and disturb them. I think it was last month... Rebecca was watching my daughter, Sarissa, who turns two in October, and they were trying to watch the Pink Panther cartoon, the old cartoons. And she started to cry and get upset, and they had to turn it off because one character was hitting the other character on the head. And that was too much for her. She got upset. But in like manner, there's a lot of things that not like any generation that we've ever lived in before 
that are available on a screen that no child should be seeing. Every phone, every tablet, every TV, every computer has access to things, some of them that are just too much for kids and some of them that are evil. And if they see those things, it can overwhelm their heart and damage them and hurt them. A teenager is a little bit older, a little bit stronger, a little bit more mature. But many people have suffered wrongly. Some people have even been abused by the people they should have been able to trust the most. And sometimes you see, almost can see in the eyes of a person. Their head is down. Their eyes are heavy. They're sad. And you know that something has happened that overwhelmed their heart and hurt them. Adults are even stronger and more mature than children and than teenagers. But even as adults, it is possible to have our limits exceeded and our heart be overwhelmed. Our soldiers often go off to war and they see some horrible things and then they come home. But their trauma is not ended when they come home from that fight. We call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And oftentimes, the strongest, muscly soldier who has seen all of the things and who rescued their brothers in battle a decade later will take their own life because they saw things that overwhelmed their heart and their spirit that they were never able to fully solve. People have testified about the horrors of being a prisoner of war and the horrible things that sometimes the enemy will put you through. And they'll say, anyone can be broken. It just takes a certain amount of time and a certain amount of pain and a certain amount of psychological warfare. Everyone's different, but everyone has a limit. There was a man named Louis Zamperini, who in World War II was taken a prisoner of war by the Japanese and he was beaten every day over and over and over and over again by a deranged Japanese soldier. And he testified that when he got home, it wasn't over, it stayed with him. And every night... He had nightmares and he lived with hatred and with bitterness for the people who had put him through that. I remember one time hearing Senator Marco Rubio from Florida tell a story that they had a hotline set up for soldiers who were struggling with mental illness and needed help in Florida and someone called the hotline. But no one called him back till 36 hours later. And by that time it was too late. And he had already taken his own life. We all have different limits and it's possible no matter how strong we are for our heart to be overwhelmed within us. Too much for us to bear. Let's consider for a moment Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 22 if you would. Luke chapter 22, the doctrine that we believe, that we understand, that we know, but that we can't probably fully ever comprehend that God Himself became a man, yet He did not cease to be God. And for those 33 years that Jesus walked the earth, He was God in human flesh. He was completely man in a physical body, yet He did not cease to be completely God. And if He didn't eat, He got hungry. And if He didn't sleep, He got tired. And our Savior, God, Creator of the universe, became one of us so that He could die for our sins. Look at verse 41, Luke twenty-two forty-one. As the time is coming that Jesus is about to be taken to the cross, I don't know if it's recorded in this chapter, but in one of the Gospels, it says that as Judas came with all of the Roman soldiers to take Christ, and as he was praying, he got up and he went to meet them because he knew all things that would befall him. He had foreknowledge. He was not taken by surprise. For though he was man, he was also God, and he knew they were coming to crucify him. And as he prays, awaiting for this event that is about to occur, he says in verse 41, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. 
and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was in deep stress. He was in agony because he knew what was to befall him. He knew what was about to happen. The end of the verse, Luke being the physician, is the only one that records that as he prayed, his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We know from another gospel that on that very same night, Peter warmed himself by the fire because it was a cold night. He did not sweat because of the heat. He was sweating because of the stress, because of what we could call the anxiety. So much so that he prayed, God, if there's any way, let this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, thereby giving all of us the example of how we ought to live our lives. We can pray to God for our desired outcome, but every prayer should include the words, the spirit, the attitude. But God, if it's not your desire to give me this answer to prayer, not my will, Thine be done. Conform my will to yours. Bible commentators agree that what that means at the end of verse 44, it's not describing his sweat and the way that it falls, but rather it's describing his actual sweat, not the way that it rolled like drops of blood would roll, but that his literal sweat was as it were great drops of blood. The phrase as it were meaning almost like exactly like it was, as if it were pure blood. What we believe happened is there's a rare medical condition that when someone undergoes an incredible amount of stress on their body, things can go wrong and they can literally sweat bloody drops of sweat through the pores of their skin. It wasn't probably pure 100% blood, but it was drops of bloody sweat. It was sweat mingled with blood that came down from the Savior's face and rolled off of Him and fell down to the ground. Why was He under so much stress at that moment? You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us of Jesus Christ, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God the Father made Jesus Christ to be sin itself when He hung on the cross. So much so that Matthew 27, 46 tells us, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God the Son equal with the Father, shared in the glory that the Father had before the world ever was. Nothing was created that was not created by Jesus Christ. The Trinity, the one God as it's described, though there is three, the Son looked to the Father and said, Why hast thou forsaken me? When they came in the garden to arrest Jesus Christ, to take Him to the cross, in John 18, 11, after Peter had pulled his sword and swung at the soldier and cut off his ear, and he said, I'm not going to let them take you. The kingdom of God is going to be Jesus sitting on the throne. It's time to fight the Romans. He'd missed what Jesus said over and over again, that He wasn't ready to take the physical throne, but He was there to die for the sins of the world. Then Jesus said to Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? That's what he, the way he referred to it in Luke 22. God, if you be willing, let this cup be removed from me. What was the cup that he had to drink, that he had to experience, that he had to bear? It was becoming and paying for every sin that would ever be committed I know good Christian people disagree, but I do not believe Jesus died for the sins only of those who would get saved. I believe Isaiah says that upon Him was the iniquity of us all laid. And other, other scriptures that say He is the propitiation not for our sin only, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, He died for me, but He also died for the people who would reject Him. He paid for those sins and offers forgiveness freely that still has to be received. He drank the cup and became sin and paid for sin with His vicarious death that He may give us salvation. Think about what was in that cup. Every murder that was ever committed. Every hateful thought or action. Every rape, every abuse, every evil, ugly sin that we have ever done, that's anyone ever committed. Every sin that I've ever committed 
Jesus Christ became that sin and He paid for it on the cross. There's never been any stress like that. Whatever you're going through this morning, you've never gone through anything quite as bad as Jesus went through when He experienced that wrath of God on the cross. Not for anything that He had done wrong, but for the sins of mankind. How did Jesus die? If you recall in the Gospels, we're told that as it came time to evening, they did not want the, the men, three men to be hanging on the cross during the time of the Sabbath. And they said, go by and make sure that they're dead. And if, if I'm getting it all correctly, they went to the two thieves and they broke their legs. Why did they do that? Because when you hung on the cross, the most, one of the most brutal deaths you could die, the nails were in your hands and were in your feet, and they tell us that you would sag down and you would have to agonizingly go through an extreme amount of pain to lift up your body and to get a breath, because if not, you would be constricted and you would begin to suffocate. You could not get oxygen. So they would come by and break the legs of the one who was being crucified so that they could not lift themselves up and their death would come quickly before the time of the Sabbath. But the Bible says there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Not a bone was broken. And when they came to Jesus, they put a spear in His side and the text says, out came water mixed with blood and they knew that He was dead. Christian doctors who have examined this believe that that blood and water coming out at the same time is evidence that the final cause of death of Jesus Christ on the cross was that His heart burst. He literally had a heart attack. And Jesus Christ literally could be said died of a broken heart for the sins of humanity. His heart was overwhelmed. I don't know... Some of you, I don't know who you are this morning. Many of you I do know, but I don't know what you're going through. But I know that Hebrews 4.15 tells us, we do not have a high priest that is untouched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We don't have a Savior in heaven who doesn't know what it's like to be human, who doesn't know what it's like to be betrayed, who doesn't know what it's like to suffer pain and rejection in an overwhelmed heart. He went through that for us to pay for our sins. i got to move quickly here. What causes our heart to be overwhelmed? Number one, people. In Psalm 143 and 142, I won't re-read all of it, but David talks about in Psalm 142 and verse number 4, after talking about his heart was overwhelmed, he says, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Psalm 143 and verse 3, For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. People can overwhelm us. The devil will attack the church, but as we've studied in our Wednesday night series, the devil uses people to do his bidding. And if we think to, as I said, what hurt us the most in our life, we could probably look back to people who were our enemies, people who caused strife, people who used their tongue to hurt us. And our heart can be overwhelmed. We have to remember this morning that all men are sinners. I want to treat you right and to be a good Christian brother to, to you. But sometimes I will let you down. Sometimes you will let me down because we're human and because we're sinners. One pastor used to joke that he felt that God was calling him to be a missionary to the uninhabited fields of the world. I'm going to go where there's no people. I'm going to fish. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have quiet. And I don't care who we are. We might get to a time in our life where that sounds nice to not have to deal with people anymore. But God doesn't take that attitude. He's been being rejected by mankind since the day He created us. But He continues to lovingly and patiently forgive us. Give us chances. And what He calls us to do is to love people, even if we've been hurt. 
And we have to remember, if we're going to be right with God, if we're going to keep our heart from being overwhelmed, we have to keep our eyes off of people, ultimately, and on God. Jason, did you find that text? Can you read it really loud for us? Yes. Can I read the verse right before? You yes. It? Okay. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Can you give us that reference there? It is Second Corinthians 12.15. Second Corinthians 12.15. The Apostle Paul tells his church at Corinth that he has dealt with patiently, who had a lot of troubles and who had a lot of sins. He tells them, I'm not seeking yours, but you. In other words, my goal in the ministry is not to manipulate you for what I can get out of you, for how I can profit myself. He went to great lengths to prove to them he was not after their physical possessions or trying to get rich. And then he said, I will continue to love you, though the more I love you, the less I be loved. If we try to serve Christ and minister to people, we're going to get hurt. But what God calls us to do is to remember we're not primarily serving God because of people. Yes, we love people. But if my goal is people and I love them and that's my motivation, eventually I can get hurt enough that I'm ready to be done and quit because I will come to the conclusion that people aren't worth it. But if what I'm doing, I do for God. If I love people because God calls me to do it, then it will allow me to continue onward through hurts, through disappointments, keep loving people and keep serving them. We can get to the place where we've welcomed people with open arms so many times and been hurt so many times that what do we do? We withdraw. We get defensive. When my arms are out like this, then I can't embrace you the way that I did before. And yes, maybe I can protect myself a little bit more. But as I said, that's not the way God deals with us. And that's not the way He wants us to deal with people. He wants us to remember all men are sinners. And if we love people and get hurt and love people and get hurt, He wants us to continue on in loving them. Not primarily for them, but because we love God. And we want to do His will and love others as He has loved us. Amen. What else overwhelms our heart? Trials. Psalm 124 and verse number 2. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. I'm moving quick to conclude here this morning. Often in the Bible, the waters are used as a metaphor for trials. And David said, if it wasn't for God being my refuge and God being on my side, then the waters would have overwhelmed my soul. It's not just a physical drowning, but a spiritual drowning. And the trials we go through, the job loss, the sickness, the death of a loved one, these things can overwhelm our heart and lead us to that depression if we do not take those things to God. Remember Job. Remember that God was not punishing him. God was still on Job's side and he had an eternal purpose in it. And when we don't understand our trials, when we don't understand why God is allowing us to go through circumstances that don't seem fair... We have to look to Him and trust Him by faith so that our heart is not overwhelmed and so we don't come to that place where we're ready to quit. Number three, what causes our heart to be overwhelmed is depression or sorrow. Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor, was known to have bouts with depression and he would preach to great crowds and he would get all the accolades and then the next day his mind would begin to fight darkness and he would slip into a deep dark place in his mind and into sorrow and different events that happened in his life and he had to tell people like David in the Psalms, I am battling these things on a daily basis. That's what David is expressing in some of these Psalms. He's expressing that sorrow. I would say to each and every one of us, when those things come, know that it's not unique to you. Know that other people go through it too. Know that even people in the Bible went through it. Don't keep it to yourself, but go to other Christians and get help and talk and strength. But most of all, we're going to have to go to God to get help with our overwhelmed heart.
Many a people have taken their own life because their heart was overwhelmed. I, would, I wish I would have the opportunity to say to any person who was in that situation or struggling with those thoughts I, I thought before I wish I could tell them, I love you. I care about you. I will try to help you. God loves you. God cares about you. And God will help you. In our family, in our church family, with our friends... We want to look out for each other, not just when there's physical or provisional needs. That's easy sometimes to say, well, so-and-so has their leg hurt and they, they can't get out of the car to come in and I need to wheel the wheelchair to help them get in church. I'll do that. Or so-and-so just lost their job and they're, they're having a tough time. I'll take some of my money. I'll give to that. But if we really want to love and take care of each other, we also have to look and check and be willing to talk about and help people who are struggling in their mind their heart, their spirit with things we cannot see. I pray that God will allow us to do that. What is the number one thing the Bible instructs us to do when our heart is overwhelmed? We find this over and over again in the Bible. I'll read you a couple of verses real quickly and then we'll be done. The Word of God instructs us to cry out to God. My daughter Sarissa, as I said, will be two in October and she already has gotten to that place where anything she hears you say, you better be careful because she'll start to repeat it. It's starting to change my life. And she starts to say something that's like, i got to be careful because she repeats what I'm saying. She's watching us. She's learning. And she just started last week when she gets all frustrated, when she's having a hard time. She looks up and she says, God, help me. God, help me. She doesn't really know what she's saying. But I believe with all my heart there's a God in heaven who knows what she's saying. And He hears the cries of the innocent, of the brokenhearted, on those who cannot heal themselves. In the psalm that we read when David said his heart was overwhelmed, he began the psalm with saying, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. Psalm 61, one. Psalm 142.5 I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and portion in the land of the living. That follows on the end of him another place where he said his heart and his spirit was overwhelmed. Jesus said in Luke 18.1 He spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He wasn't talking about physically fainting because it got too hot outside. He's talking about sometimes spiritually we can faint, we can quit, we can give up. And when we come where we're facing that time in our mind, what does God want us to do? Pray. It's never the wrong time to pray. It's never too small to pray about. God's never too busy that He cannot hear our prayers. But when we become overwhelmed, if there's no one else who understands, no one else who hears, He says, cry out to me in the night, in the daytime, whatever it is, if we look to heaven and say, God, I'm struggling, my heart is overwhelmed, He promised He will hear our prayers. The Bible also says that if our heart is failing, God Himself will strengthen our heart. Psalm 27, 14, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 31, 24, Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. I'm not against counseling. I'm not against medication. I'm not against a lot of the things we can go to to get help and specifically each other, helping each other. God designed that. But ultimately, the Bible said that God Himself promised, I will strengthen your heart. I will make your heart and your soul and your spirit be stronger so that you are able to bear those trials that you may not be able to to bear. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. I was going to read Psalm 61, the rest of the chapter, Psalm 3. Both of those go really well along with what we've talked about this morning. David in Psalm 61, three or four different times, talks about how forever he shall go to the dwelling place where God is. And we can remember that he has written our names in the Lamb's book of life. And we will spend eternity with him and our soul is saved. That will give us reason to hope and to be encouraged. In Psalm 3, he's talking about the night watches where he waited upon God and he was troubled, but he 
prayed and God helped him. And I think in Psalm 3, 5, he says that he slept restfully and peacefully and he awoke again because God sustained him. When we have trouble with our mind or with dark thoughts or emotions, if we go to the Scripture, if we go to prayer, if we go to godly music and let that saturate our mind, it will help us with those struggles. But I'll close with this. The POW named Louis Zamperini, who had the nightmares and the hatred in his heart. Years later, his wife, who came to be a Christian, kept inviting him and inviting him to go to things, and he didn't want to, and he didn't want to, and he was drunk all the time, and he was angry all the time, and he had nightmares all the time. But finally, he agreed one night to go to a meeting where a man was preaching a crusade, and the man's name was Billy Graham. And I, you can look up the details of the story for yourself, but as he went and as the Holy Spirit convicted his heart, he eventually decided, I'm going to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, and later decided, I'm going to forgive those people who tortured me. And I think he even made a journey to try and find that Japanese man who had tortured him and say, I'm a Christian now, and I choose to forgive you. And he testified God delivered him from the hate. He delivered him from the drunkenness and he delivered him from the nightmares. And when nothing else would help, he could sleep peacefully and reclaim his life because there's a God in heaven who is nigh to the broken heart who hears when we cry to Him. Cry out to God and He can heal your heart. And hopefully He will use us as His church to take His love to those whose hearts have been overwhelmed because Jesus Christ is the answer to the world's problems. And we have that answer. May God help us share it. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know You as Savior, I pray that they would receive You today. I pray that they would believe in You, that they would call upon the name of the Lord, that they would trust the fact that You died for our sins and rose again to pay for those sins. But we by faith must repent and turn to You and receive You as Lord and as Savior and ask You to save our soul. If there's anyone who needs to talk about that today, I would love to talk about that with You. Lord, I pray that You would deliver us from our trials, from our sorrows, and from those things that would overwhelm our heart. I pray that we would give that to You and go to You, and that You would bring us healing. Let's have the music play for a moment. We'll have a time of prayer.